Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Hey guys, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. This is from John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, we've got an incredible service planned for you. Uh, We have one of my good friends, uh, Rebecca Shatswell. I've known the Shatswells for 15 years. Uh, I moved here in 2009, and some of my first friends were the Shatswells, and Rebecca and her husband invited me into their home and made me macaroni and cheese and hung out with me late into the night, and I was on worship teams with them, and they're incredible. Rebecca is one of the best Bible teachers that I know. She's just curious. Uh, You're curious about things. You find things funny, and I love that. If something's funny, you dig into it. And so this morning, she's going to be teaching us on relationships, and so I hope you brought something to write with. She's going to teach you. It's going to be incredible. Come on, y'all put your hands together for Rebecca. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Okay, be honest in the room. Who's excited about the snow coming? Okay, okay. There are a few boos out here. I can tell you my kids are ecstatic because it doesn't happen very often in Arkansas, right? I love that snow just becomes like an unexpected holiday around here. But if I haven't met you guys yet, my name is Rebecca Shatswell. Um, Bronson kind of told you a little bit about our background. And I just want to tell you guys, my husband Brandon and I have been able to be friends with Bronson and Callie since before they even dated That's how far back we go. And I want to tell you the blessing that you have in your pastors. Bronson has always had a sincere passion for the Word of God, and his heart's desire is to plant the Word of God in other people. And that is such a gift. And Callie, in my opinion, has always effortlessly reflected the heart of God for people. She is one of the easiest people to be around. She's disarming. She is welcoming. She makes me laugh, which is kind of reminds me of the personality of the Holy Spirit, but they are such a gift. And I just want to say to you guys, Thank you for being faithful. You have sown a lot of good seed in this church. Yes. And it is producing a harvest. And my prayer for you guys is that a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blows over your family this year. That's what I've been praying for you guys. But I'm Rebecca. If I haven't met you, my husband Brandon and I, we've been a part of the church really since the beginning, serving in different capacities, worship, woman conference, prayer ministry, just really whatever the house needs. But we have two babies, two miracle children, in my opinion. We had a long journey to have children, and God bless us. We have a daughter. She's nine years old. I think we have a family pic. Look at that. Okay, let me tell y'all why moms do this, okay? This picture is a miracle, Okay. My daughter boycotted her outfit on the way to this photo shoot, and I just had a feeling it was going to happen and threw an extra dress in the car. She changed in a parking lot. My son was bored in two seconds and running circles. We were trying to keep him from getting hit by cars, and this moment happened in one small, tiny second of a window of God's grace on my family. That's why moms put these on cards and send them all over the earth, because they can't believe this miracle took place, okay? 
So there's my daughter, y'all. She's usually my stay up late, sleep in late, already feels like a college kid person. And she has turned a new leaf this year. We are in a Bible reading challenge and she is getting up to read her Bible and do a skincare routine. That's a thing at nine years old. Okay. And a stretch routine. I'm like, who are you, woman? Okay, so that's her, my son. His name is Xavier Zane Kai. We call him Zavi. He is full of energy and joy. I am too tired for him, but he is he makes everyone in his world smile. And the other day, I'd have to just be honest what my life is like. He made um, mommy and daddy potato head. There they are. And he brought them to me. And, you know, as a mom, you just have to be like, you did such a great job. And he said, this is mommy and daddy. And I said, are these your mommy and daddy? He said, yes. And I said, who's daddy? He said, the one with the glasses. And I said, so mommy's the one with the mustache? Just as matter of fact as he could be, he said, some girls have mustaches. So we are in the brutally honest phase. I did not know until that moment. He also tells me he wants to marry me one day. I guess he's into girls with mustaches, but that's another point. Okay, that's my family, a little bit about us, but today I want to dive into how did Jesus do relationships? Because if you guys are being honest with me in the room today, how many of you could admit relationships are not easy? Lift your hand. They are not easy. I remember in the early days when Pastor Rick and Michelle started a conversation with my husband and I about coming on staff to work with worship. Well, side note, I said, Brandon, I don't know that we should take that job. And he said, why? And I said, I'm going to get us fired. And he said, why is that? And I said, I know all of those pastor wives. They are so nice and sweet. And I'm not sweet. I'm going to get us fired. And he said, just don't say anything to anybody. That only worked for like the first year or so, but I'm just telling you that because I had a lot of growth that I needed to do in the area of relationships. And God has actually used this church to put principles of how he does relationships into my life. But in that conversation with Pastor Rick and Michelle, I remember when Pastor Rick looked at us and he said, if you guys come on staff, we're going to be in covenant with you. And he used the word covenant. And I remember thinking, what's he talking about? It's not a normal word in my everyday vocabulary. What does he mean? And he said, I just want you to know it's never going to be okay for me for somebody to talk about you guys negatively in front of me. And I want to know you guys will do the same. And I said, okay, we got it. And he said, and I want you to know, Rebecca, we're going to take care of you. If something were ever to happen to Brandon, we would take care of you. And I remember thinking, he's trying to describe a level of commitment, protection, and devotion that I've not encountered before. And the language he's using is covenant. I did wonder, what are we getting ourselves into? Is this the mob? But I was intrigued enough where I went home and I began to dive into what what does God mean when he uses the word covenant? So I want to give you guys a definition for those who like definitions. Covenant is the highest, most sacred form of agreement between two people. In ancient culture, it was an agreement that would often be made between two different tribes or nations. It was a means of establishing an alliance or a friendship. It followed a certain ritual, was sealed in blood, and was considered unbreakable. 
It guaranteed permanent protection, provision, and devotion. When people entered a covenant, they were changing the nature of their relationship from that point forward, which is why we can compare, we can look at marriage as a covenant relationship. But it is the word that God uses all throughout the Old Testament when he decided to establish a relationship with humans. He did it with Noah. Ten generations later, he does it with Abraham. Seven generations later, he confirms it again with Moses. When God enters relationship with you and I, he doesn't play around. It's not a half-hearted thing. He is all in. He's 100% in. And he's saying, what I promise in your life, this is a permanent promise I am placing over you. And you fast forward all the way to the New Testament. And when Jesus first utters the word covenant, he's gathered his guys around the table for one final meal before he went to the cross. Y'all know what that moment's called. What do we call it? The Last Supper, right. It's actually one of my favorite passages of scripture. If you want the long, unedited version, you can look at John chapters 13 through 17. Luke 22 kind of summarizes what happened in those moments. But think about it. If you had one final meal with someone who was like near and dear to you and you knew you only had a few hours left with them, what kind of things would you talk about? Think about it. I know a lot of things you wouldn't talk about. You wouldn't have any kind of small talk. It would be the things that were most important to you. And this is what Jesus is giving to them in these chapters. And in that moment in Luke 22, it says he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He was letting them know he was establishing a new relationship with them and he would be the sacrifice to make this covenant with them. And then he looks at them and says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's trying to tell them what I'm about to do when I go to the cross and make this covenant with you. It's not going to just change how you relate with me. It is going to change how you relate with one another. And he says, I want, he says, it's a new command. I want you to love each other as I've loved you. When I was reading that, I thought, This doesn't sound like a new command. I don't know how you think when you read scripture, but questions pop in my mind. Like Bronson said, I'm curious. I have learned in studying the word of God, questions are often God's vehicle. It is how the Holy Spirit most often talks to us. So when you read the word and you start having questions, you may think it's just you, but oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit opening a door for you because he's ready to bring you new revelation. Just study how many times Jesus asked questions to people that he encountered. I think it's like 307 times Jesus is having questions with other people. So just pay attention. But a new command I give you. I thought, this doesn't sound like a new command. Do you remember the moment where Jesus encounters someone and he's trying to test him and he said, of all the commands, what are the most important? And Jesus answers without thinking about it. He says, these two are the most important. Love the Lord your God. How does it go? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, whatever your version is. And then he says, and the second one is like it. What is it? Love your 
neighbor as yourself. That command they had had since Moses' days. They had gotten that in the book of Leviticus. That command, that had been the measure that God was looking for their standard of relationship. But Jesus says, a new command I give you. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. What changed in that command? It's the standard of measure that God is looking for in relationships. It's no longer based on how good we are at loving someone. It is based on how we have watched Jesus love us, right? He became the standard of measure. Why? I think God knew that we knew a lot about what selfish love looked like comparing with each other, but we had no frame of reference for selfless love until Jesus came. And Jesus said, this love is so earth shattering. No one has seen a love like my love. In fact, if you will just love each other the way I've loved you, the entire world is going to know that you are my disciples because that type of love belongs to one person and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you realize the defining characteristic the entire world is looking for to know if we belong to Christ or not? It's not how we do services. It's not how we sing songs. It's not miracles. It is by how we love love one another. That is how important this is. So I thought, God, I know you are trying to teach me in this. I want to see how did Jesus do relationships with his guys? So I don't know about you, but Peter is my favorite disciple. He brings me hope, right? He just thinks first without acting. He makes huge mistakes. He also gets it right a few times. He's always confident in himself, thinks he's going to do everything great, right? And no matter how many times Peter messes up, Jesus never lose faith, loses faith in him. That gives me hope. So I want to take a close-up look on Jesus' relationship with Peter. And when we're looking at covenant relationships, there's four things I'm going to give you that it looks like when it's going well. But what about when covenant relationships get hard? And when I'm talking about covenant, I'm applying that to people we are in the body of Christ with. I'm also applying it to our marriages and to our families. This is where God is asking covenant relationship from us. Number one, covenant relationships, we offer friendship. I love that friendship was the setting in which Jesus invited these guys to enter his life. In fact, if you look at the introduction between Jesus and Peter, we don't have a moment where Jesus is like, hey, I'm Jesus. Peter's like, hey, I'm Peter. No, this is where they meet each other. In Luke, it says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This was their introduction. Now notice what Jesus does. He borrows Peter's boat without asking. He assumes it's okay. He expects Peter to jump in and help him out when Peter's in the middle of doing something. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like a friend to me. In fact, if I'm being honest, it sounds like family right? They borrow without asking. They show up when you didn't think they were coming. They want you to drop everything to jump in, right? Does anyone have family like that? Okay, I see your smiles. I know it's true, right? But Jesus appreciates Peter's willingness, his flexibility, and he doesn't plan to leave him empty-handed. 
he's looking at him like, okay, I, I can see it didn't go well last night and you guys might need a little gas money or grocery money, right? As the groceries get more expensive. So he's like, why don't you drop your nets on the other side of the boat for a catch? And Peter's like the pro fisherman that he is. He's like, you don't understand. We've worked hard, hard all night. We didn't catch anything. But because you said it, I'll go ahead and do it. So we see Peter has a level of respect for Jesus, even though they haven't officially met. He does it, and this is what happened. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets begin to break. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is their first interaction. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Number two, in covenant relationships, we speak life to one another. Notice when Peter finally realized Jesus was more than a teacher, he was a man of God. Only a man of God could call that many fish to a boat in seconds, right? Peter realized how much he wasn't a man of God. And notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, no, Peter, you're not a sinful guy. He said, don't be afraid. He said, I know you. I know your past. And I've still chosen you. And I actually have a kingdom purpose on your life. You're going to do what you know really well, but you're going to start doing it differently. When we are in covenant relationships, God is asking us to call the kingdom potential out of one another with our words. And sometimes that's hard. Okay, there are some people, it is hard to see them the way God sees them. And I want to encourage you, if you have a relationship and you're like, I know I should honor covenant with them, but they are difficult for me. Ask the Lord to give you eyes to see them the way that he sees them. And that's what we speak to one another. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. From now on, we don't regard anyone according to their flesh, who they were without Christ. We speak to them according to who they are with Christ. It is how Jesus spoke to Peter and it's how Jesus speaks to you and I. In fact, months later, Jesus will look at Peter, who was called Simon, and say, from now on, you're no longer Simon, you are Peter. And upon Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was called a rock long before he was one. Peter had a massive failure that was going to come very soon for him. But Jesus didn't call him what he was in that moment. He called him what he was becoming. It takes faith and it takes God's eyes to see people according to what they are becoming and to speak that over their life. Number three, we serve their needs. Jesus got on his knees and did the dirty work to help his guys. Our mess is not beneath Jesus. Think about it. He's at the table with them for one final meal. He's telling them he's about to give his life. By all accounts, he's clearly the greatest in the room. And yet he gets up after dinner and takes the position of a servant, grabs a towel and a water basin and washes 12 grown men's dirty feet. And Peter can't even handle it. When Peter sees it, he says, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. He's saying, Peter, you don't understand. You want to know what being the greatest looks like? You want to know what being a leader looks like? It looks like this. 
getting up from your position of honor and getting on the floor and grabbing a towel and doing the dirty work. And I don't know what that looks like for you and I. Sometimes we see needs around us and God is like, I want you to help that need. It's not convenient. It's not good timing. Maybe it's dirtier than we would prefer. Maybe God's asking us to make meals for sick people or go to their house and clean it. Maybe God's asking us to watch young children so a mom can have a break. Maybe God's asking us to invite people who don't have a lot of money to our table and feed them. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but Jesus set the example. He's saying the greatest person in the room is going to get on his knees and serve everyone else. Number four, we have their back. In covenant relationships, we guard one another. We guard and protect each other even when we are not in the room. This is where covenant is really tested. Most often I have watched the enemy get into covenant relationships through words. Words that are spoken about, words that are allowed to be spoken. I just want to encourage you. It is our job in the body of Christ to guard and protect one another and to make sure we are speaking about each other in honor. If you are in a conversation that doesn't do so, I want to encourage you to redirect it out of protection for that person, to have their back. There is nothing like as a mom, when I walk downstairs and I hear my husband say, what did your mama tell you? You know why that is encouraging for me? I'm like, he has my back. And I wasn't even in the room. And those kids, they will try to divide you in two seconds, right? So the Lord is asking us to protect one another. But what about when covenant gets hard? Because I promise you, covenant relationships will get difficult. Why? Because the enemy attacks anything that reflects the image of God. Covenant relationships represent God's unbreakable promise. The enemy can't stand it. So the enemy will go after marriages, he'll go after families, and he goes after the church. So when covenants get hard, this is where we have to dig into what Jesus did and follow his example. I love when Jesus is at the Last Supper, he's trying to explain to the guys he's going to go to the cross. And it says in Luke 22 that they get sidetracked on a conversation about which one of them is the greatest. Have y'all ever had trouble in a moment where it's supposed to be important and you start thinking about yourself when you really are not the whole point? This is what's happening with the disciples. I'm like, the greatest one is telling you he's about to give his life and y'all start talking about you. But I've realized, like, my son Zavi, he's moved into this phase where he wants to know who's the tallest, who's the best, who's the fastest, who's the greatest. And I'm like, did God put that in you? He Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, he looks at me almost offended. And he goes, how did you get taller than me? I said, well, buddy, I've lived a little longer than you. He said, when am I going to be taller than you? I said, you're four. You still have a little ways to go. And he's like, why does growing have to take so long? So when I see this moment with the disciples, I'm like, this is just how God designed us to think. But in the middle of this moment, Jesus has something to say to Peter. And he's going to confront him on a, a failure that is coming in Peter's life. And notice what he says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, 
but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Peter said, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Jesus would confront failure in love. When it gets hard, there are times where God is asking us to have hard conversations. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 18 that if a brother sins, that we're actually to go and confront them in private. But Jesus doesn't do this in private. He does it in front of the guys. And I think he does it in love for Peter. I think he's protecting the call on Peter's life because all of the guys are about to watch Peter deny the Lord and run away scared for his life. And I think Jesus was protecting his call so these guys would know he was not disqualified after that failure. But look at what he says. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Jesus was confronting his failure in love, and he was praying for him ahead of time. Why did Jesus know that the enemy was after Peter in such a specific way? God was showing him the spiritual battle going on behind the scenes for Peter's life as Jesus prayed for Peter. I don't know if you and I realize when we get wounded by other people, there is a spiritual battle being waged against their life they may not be aware of. Peter thought he was golden. He thought he was the most loyal of disciples. He told Jesus he was wrong. This would never happen. He was already to get ready to go to prison and to death. And a few hours later, Peter would lie three different times and say, I don't even know the man. And he even cursed while doing it and walks away from Jesus at the time that Jesus could have used a friend standing by his side the most. Jesus prayed for him ahead of his failures. He recognized the spiritual battle. He kept his name before the throne of God. Number seven, forgive their offenses. In covenant relationships, we have to forgive offenses. Forgiveness is the birth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what God offers to us first. Do you realize Forgiveness for everything we've done before that moment and everything we will do. Jesus is never going to ask you and I to do something for each other that he has not done for us first. How do I know that Jesus forgave Peter? Notice what he said. I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And when you have turned again, when you have made a comeback, strengthen your brother's. Jesus was speaking blessing over Peter, even though the offense that would happen would be against him. The ability to forgive means that we get before the Lord and we say, God, I'm forgiving this person in the name of Jesus. This is how what they did made me feel. And I, I want you to do this out loud when you forgive people. There is a power in speaking this out loud. But it's not just what they did. How it made you feel is actually where the damage is really done. And then I want you to say, I release them from this debt. And I bless them in the name of Jesus. And if you want to know where you bless them, you bless them in the place you'd rather them not get a blessing in. 
And there are times where it's not easy. I remember when I was in college, God began to teach me how to intentionally forgive. And I had been hurt by my family, and God asked me to make a list, and I was walking through one memory. And I just said, honestly, God, it is not in me to forgive this. I don't have it in me. I have too strong of a sense of justice, and this was wrong. It was just wrong. And God was so kind with me. He said, Rebecca, it's not in you, but it is in me, and I am in you. And God took me to the moment that Jesus was hanging on the cross. His flesh had been torn more times than you and I can probably count. He had blood flowing over his body, no doubt exposed bone, while hanging on a wooden cross, suffocating. And he looked down at his murderers, who were so excited at what they had done, they were gambling for his clothes to see who could take home the bloody trophy. And Jesus looked at them in the moment that they were gloating, and he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb to say, if you've lived the last three years in this world, you've probably had a covenant relationship that was challenged. My husband and I just walked through the hardest two years of our marriage. And he gave me blessing to share this part of our story. There was a night that he came and shared things with me that I had no idea about. And I was very broken. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, I've prepared you for this. I didn't know what it meant at the time. I was in shock. I couldn't get my brain around what had been shared. But the Lord began to tell me, before this night is over, before you lay your head on the pillow, I want you to get with me and I want you to speak forgiveness out of your mouth for everything you were just told. And I remember wondering if I could even get the words out. And I've had such a strong sense of the presence of Jesus sitting beside me. I got away with the Lord. And it was almost like I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, we're going to do this together. Because what the Lord was showing me is the enemy's already had enough ground. And you have a choice to not give him any more territory in your life. And when we hold offenses, even for one day, it gives the enemy access to us. The Lord was like, this seems too difficult for you, but it is not too difficult for me. And I am in you. I remember God showing me a picture I was sitting in a chair, and there was an empty chair beside me, and uh, it was just clear as day. I saw Jesus sitting there beside me, but it was how I imagined he looked when he was on the cross. Wounds from head to toe, bloody, one eye so swollen you couldn't see it. And he looked at me and smiled, and he grabbed my hand. And I knew what he was saying to me in that moment was, there is not a wound you will experience that you will not find on my body somewhere. I've already gone through all of it for you. And so I love how even before Jesus knew what was, I mean, even before Peter knew what was going to come, Jesus had already prayed. 
He had already forgiven. And I was praying for you guys, and the Lord told me to sit on this point. He said, there are wounds in this room, and I'm ready to set people free. And I don't know what you have experienced, but I'm telling you, the Lord wants to flow through you. The Holy Spirit wants to forgive the unforgivable through you and set you free. And then the last thing we see Jesus do with Peter is he restores his kingdom purpose. You know, studying the Lord is better than watching a movie. That's what I've learned. Because after Jesus was resurrected, I mean, can you imagine being Peter? You lied about Jesus. You walked away. You weren't even there when he died on the cross. You imagine how alienated he felt and disconnected from the group when Jesus rose from the grave. But Jesus designs a whole moment just for Peter to bring him back. The guys are out fishing again, which is what they knew. And John hears, a, or they, a man yells from the shore. John recognizes it's Jesus. And the man says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat for a catch? Story sound familiar? And John goes, Peter, it's Jesus. And Peter, without thinking, dives in the water. That's what I love about Peter, right? Full, full dress, you know, dives in the water, does whatever he can to get to Jesus' feet. And Jesus had created a moment to restore Peter. He went all the way back to what their introduction was. You remember what Peter said at his introduction? Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. God set up that entire scene to say, Peter, I knew then. I still have not changed my mind about you. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. He said, then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes. He said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? He's using his name that's a kingdom identity. He's saying, look, I'm restoring our relationship and I'm restoring your purpose. Can you hear what I'm saying? I think he said it three times so it would get in Peter. He said, feed my sheep. And he reinstates him in the group and puts his kingdom purpose on his life again because our God is so good when he enters a covenant with us and we break that covenant, he still comes and gets us and fulfills his good word in our life. So I don't, we all know somebody who's walked away from the Lord and God is ready for them to come back. We're gonna go to a time of prayer, but if I could say, sum up in one word, what did Jesus's love look like? It's sacrifice. If there's one word, what does covenant relationship look like? It's sacrifice. He said, greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. If you guys will stand to your feet. Every time I study the life of Jesus, I'm challenged and I'm in awe. And I've been asking the Lord to speak a word to each one of you in this room. I believe God wants to do so much in this room to heal us, to restore relationships, to bring people back to his house that are not here. So as I close, I just want you to make your seat a place with the Lord. Just ask the Lord, what are you speaking to me? What are you asking me to do out of this? And we'll just make this place an altar to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. There is no one like you. 
We thank you when you chose us, you did not change your mind about us no matter what we have done. You come and get us and you bring us back. Lord Jesus, we listen to you. I pray you would speak individually to each one of us. Our ears are open in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to lead us into a moment of reflection. Um, This morning I was reading of all things about martyrdom. I think I talked about this earlier, just the history of the church. And um, I want to read this to you. And I want you to put yourself in this position. You're going to see by the end. It said, early Christian martyrs, this is people who were killed for their faith, were victims of hate, not perpetrators. They absorbed violence that didn't inflict it. He says, I've never known a person who suffered martyrdom, but I'm acquainted with people who have personally known martyrs and I've heard their stories. For some reason, these stories linger in my memory like vivid dreams that refuse to fade over time. In one case, two young pastors traveling on motor scooters to do their pastoral work in a neighboring village were accosted by a mob, beaten to death for no other reason than that they were Christians. Here's what I want you to hear. Their story doesn't make me want to die a martyr's death. It's too gruesome and horrible for that but it does make me want to live a martyr's life. For they had the courage to give their lives completely to Jesus. Their faith in Christ puts a fire in me to honor Christ, whether by life or death, as the Apostle Paul puts it. It is that passion to live for Christ that makes the stories of martyrs, both ancient and modern, so compelling and convicting. What does this have to do with Rebecca and what she taught? Sometimes to forgive, to speak life to someone who's brought death, to see kingdom and kingdom potential in someone who's not living it requires you to die to yourself and to live to Christ. As Rebecca described her story, and so I just wanted to take us through a moment of reflection, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. As Rebecca was going through those eight or nine things, Was there anything the Holy Spirit just seized upon your heart with? Offering a friendship to someone you don't know very well. Speaking life. Bowing your knee to serve others. Having someone's back, praying, interceding for them confronting and correcting an issue, forgiving someone who's wronged you, restoring those who've wronged you, and sacrificing yourself to love them. Just take a moment. When it comes to being in covenant with others, is there somewhere where you've broken it along these lines that the Lord might invite you to repentance? Holy Spirit, give us names. God, don't just let these be ideas but let these be things that come deep within our hearts. Christ, that we might imitate you. I want to encourage you, there's cards in the seat backs that says things I'm praying for, things I'm thankful for. If, if the Holy Spirit's drawing something to mind, we're going to go into a time of worship. I want to encourage you to sit, to write that name down, And take some time and ask the Lord to give you the courage, the faith, 
to obey and to love others the way that Christ loved us. Amen. God, we thank you for the word that was brought. Christ, we thank you for this beautiful picture that Rebecca painted for us and help us to live it. Search us, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.